Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians real quick before we have George come up and share. As we're doing our daily reading, I just wanted to read these portions to you, and I encourage you to do a daily reading. I encourage you to read from Genesis to Revelation. We have um, daily reading schedules that you can go by, but they're on the internet. You might have one in your Bible, but I encourage you not just to read your favorite chapter, your favorite book all the time. Get the whole counsel of God, and that's from Genesis to Revelation, the whole counsel. Well, in our daily reading the last few days, let's start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. And remember, in Corinthians, ignorant is unlearned, uneducated. So it's not necessarily a put down. It's just a statement by Paul to say, hey, I want you to understand. I want you to be learned. Concerning those who have fallen asleep, fallen asleep is a nice way of saying have died. Those who have died. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Guys, we're living in a world that have no hope. Their hope is in a political affiliation. Uh, Their hope is in uh, maybe modern medicine. Maybe their hope is in their 401k or their career or whatever it might be. They don't have hope in God. And you and I, as believers, we are are a small percentage as we approach 8 billion people on the face of this earth. There's a very small percentage of people that really believe Jesus is God. Not just that Jesus is a great prophet, a good teacher, a man that lived 2,000 years ago. No, Jesus is God. Very small percentage. And so we have a calling on our lives. We know where we're going when we die. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so will God bring with him those who have died in Jesus. I believe these verses are talking about the rapture. Not going to argue with you about it, but for this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words." Now, again, there were no chapter breaks or verses. This was for our convenience. So let's just keep reading a few verses here. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the nights. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day... Now, in your Bible, you should notice capital D. It's very important. I believe this is in reference to the rapture. Should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, because of that fact that we're believers, therefore, let us not sleep as others do. In other words, not knowing the signs of the times. But let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us, who are of the day, Bible-believing Christians, 
be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath. And I believe this is a reference to the great tribulation. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we are awake or asleep, we should live together with him. And then what does verse 11 say? Therefore, comfort each other. Is there a lot of comfort right now in a political party? Is there a lot of comfort in, in our medical situation that's taking place? Is there a lot of comfort in our finances? Now that we're seeing things going up and up and up, is there a lot of comfort on this side of heaven? I mean, we're blessed. I, I'm not, you know, I'm saying mental comfort. We have all kinds of physical comforts. We're spoiled. But is there mental comfort? Are we at peace? No. We'll be at, we're at peace with God because God is at peace with us. And so we've got to keep our eyes on heaven. And that's why we constantly say, that's why I constantly say to you, keep your eyes on heaven. Keep your eyes on heaven. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another. Build each other up, just as you also are doing. And so that's why I want to encourage you all, as George comes up, uh, again, he'll, he'll introduce himself. But be encouraged, guys. I believe we're definitely in the last days. Jesus is coming back, and he's looking for a bride who is ready and waiting for his return. Amen. Amen. That was a great word. Oh, so, Abba, Father, I ask you, Lord, that you pour out your anointing fresh and new upon us, Father. I ask you, Lord, that you give every person here ears to hear, eyes to see. I ask you, Lord, for a fresh anointing as I deliver this word. And I praise you, Abba, that you're going to be glorified. B'Shem Yeshua, I'm shaking the name of Jesus, the Messiah. Amen. Uh, just out of curiosity, who gets more worthy briefs? Wow. Okay, ready? Every hand that didn't go up, it's free. You can't get cheaper than free. I ran this site, or I started this site 20 years ago because I had a calling to go to Israel. And I didn't know exactly how I was going to get to Israel. And the Lord had me start this site to actually finance all of our endeavors in Israel. The site was found in the verse, watch ye therefore. Right? We're all called to be watchmen. One of the ancient Hebrew words for watchmen is the word notzrim. Can you say it with me? Notzrim. You just said the modern Hebrew word for Christian. The modern Hebrew word for Christian is the same ancient word for watchman. We're all called to be watchmen. To pray always. How can you effectively pray, right, if you're constantly being fed lies? You have to understand that the very first words that Jesus said, talking about the end of the age, he said, take heed that no man deceive you. Turn off the TV. Go ahead and get our worthy briefs. I actually give you your prayer points for the entire day. Basically, I cover basically all the main things that are happening. It's okay to be, you know, a little bit ignorant. You don't have to be up on every single thing because it will consume you and actually rob you of actually your calling, right? To pray always that we may be found worthy. How many realize the Lord is coming back really, really soon? Now, where we live, here's Masada. We live in a little town called Arad, right about there. If you can say it, Arad. So between a rod and a hard place. Okay, there you go. So Arad is the ancient town where the spies first spied out the land before the land was conquested. Okay? Our town is actually one of the most persecuted towns in all of Israel. We've actually had protests at our house for a long, long time. Uh, we, my brother passed away February 28th of 2020. Our scheduled flight was for March 4th. The next thing you know, uh, the flights get canceled. And, you know, we all thought it would be over by Passover. And the next thing you know, we're still here. We've done 55,000 miles. 
preaching the gospel, preaching revival. And part of the thing is, since I do Worthy News, I want to actually know what's really happening. So I was in Minneapolis one week after George Floyd. I was in the middle of Chaz and Chad in Seattle. I was in the middle of the Antifa riots, which are still going on in, in uh, Portland. So that I can actually report truth. Because we actually live by command, that shall not bear false witness. It means you can't lie. Apparently some people don't understand that. It's okay. Now I'm going to talk about prophecy. I'm going to talk about things. But before I do, I want to make sure everyone's on the same page that I am. Okay? When, when Yeshua came, when Jesus came, he said, I must preach the kingdom of God. And this is the purpose that I've been sent. The purpose of Yeshua was the kingdom. The very beginning of Acts. In Acts 1-3, after his resurrection, he appeared to his disciples, and what was he doing? He was preaching about the kingdom of God. The very last verse of Acts is Paul proclaiming the kingdom of God. If we are true disciples of Jesus, then our message is the message of the kingdom of God. Okay, And the message of the kingdom of God always began with the word repent. Repent. We wonder why we're not having a revival. We need to preach Repent. It's the first word of the message of the kingdom. It means you're going one way. It is not the right way. You realize you're not going God's way. You make a turn. You turn around. You start going God's way. Does that mean you're going to be perfect? No. But there is a turn that that you turn to God that you realize you cannot save yourself. No good work you could do could save you. And you thrust your entire eternal existence on the fact that Jesus came, died on the cross, rose again from the third day, and you're trusting him to save you. Now, what I really love preaching out of this passage is the first part, repent, that your sins may be blotted out. That's, a, that's repentance and salvation. But the next portion here says that there may come seasons of refreshing. That word refreshing is fresh breath. That there is a season, what, what happens is, most, most people don't realize is that we actually should live a lifestyle of repentance. I'm not living a lifestyle of repentance to stay saved. I know the day I got birthed into the kingdom. I'm living a lifestyle of repentance to stay in good relationship. Okay? Now, I'm I'm using Pastor Jim as my guinea pig. Pastor Jim, how long have you been married? 40 years. Can we give Claudia a big hand for putting up with Jim for 40 years? Now, Jim wants to have a great marriage, right? Now, if Jim, who is not perfect, messes up, he doesn't want to stay in the doghouse very long. He's going to say, I'm sorry. No one wants to live in the doghouse. Okay? So if you're going to have a great relationship... Now, Jim, right, when he says he's sorry... Can he get more married? He's married. He can't get more married. You can't get more saved. But you can have a better relationship. See, our relationship with God, ready? The distance that we have from God is not God's fault. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. The relationship issue, God is sitting there trying to hug on you. God's trying to love on you. God's trying to pour himself on you. And if you're holding on to sin, guess what? It's like going ahead and, and not realizing that you need to say, I'm sorry. And get in right relationship. 
And the reality is, and I'm going to explain this in, in, in as, as clearly as I possibly can. When I got saved, I used to smoke. I stopped smoking when I stopped drinking. I stopped, right? Those were the easy, quote, unquote. But the longer I walk, the more I realize how pathetically wretched we really are. Because we're always struggling with pride. We're always struggling. And the deeper we get into the prayer clause and the deeper we're seeking after God. And, you know, it's like the prophet Isaiah. Woe is me. He's a man of unclean lips. If you're busy seeking the face of God and seeking the kingdom of God, you're always looking up. You're not going to look down on anyone. And what happens is we realize the awesome grace of God. That's living a lifestyle of repentance. That's living in revival. If we're going to have a revival, we've got to walk in a lifestyle of repentance. That he may send to you the Messiah who's appointed for you even, right, even Jesus, whom heaven must receive. Now notice this, until the times of the restoration of all things. I'm going to submit to you that God is getting ready to restore everything that was lost in the garden. The rest- restoration of all things. Notice this, he spoke of by the mouth of the holy prophets. When Jesus taught the message of the kingdom, there wasn't a New Testament. The Old Testament is not a negative we're not under the curse of the law anymore, but inside of the inside of the Tanakh, inside the Old Testament, is actually the message of the kingdom. When they taught the message of the kingdom, they actually were only teaching out of Genesis through Malachi. Now, in this passage here, I say to you, in the regeneration, this word regeneration is such a unique word. It is the word palin genesia. Palin means return to Genesia's Genesis. Return to Genesis. Ready? You, will, you know, we, we want to study the end. We want to study Revelation. But if you really want to understand Revelation, you actually have to start at Genesis and Exodus. Because you're going to know the end from the beginning. Right? In Isaiah, it's a very interesting passage here. It talks about the wolf dwelling with the lamb. It talks about a young child playing with snakes. It talks about all these things until the earth is full of the glory of God. In the future, I'm submitting to you, God's going to restore the animal kingdom. The how it was in Genesis, Adam didn't have to worry about getting eaten by a lion. Right? He didn't have to worry about these things. There's some people that say that we're in the kingdom now. That is partially true if you're born again the kingdom of god is within you but every day we pray thy will be done thy kingdom come we're not in the kingdom yet and if we're praying every day that will be done thy kingdom come there's these people that want to argue say we're already in the kingdom just tell them to go to the zoo <laughs> go to the lion's cage tell them to jump in he will be in the kingdom today He's very happy. He's very happy in the future. Very happy. And Zephaniah says, I will turn to the people's ready a pure language. And they shall call upon the name of Jehovah with one consent. I use two different translations here. It's the same passage. Ready? In Revelation 17, 18, we realize that Babylon is destroyed. In Genesis, we realize 
that the people disobeyed God. They built a tower. The languages got dispersed. But at the beginning of the age, everyone spoke the same language. That is coming back. God's going to restore to the world a pure language once again. When Jesus is preaching the gospel and preaching the word from Jerusalem, ready? It's not in English. Just saying. It's not in Japanese. It's going to be a pure language again. We don't know exactly what that is. But I guarantee you that in the future we'll not have any misunderstandings. Now, I really love this idea. I've been married almost 20 years. I mean, I really love the idea that in the future my wife will finally understand me. I just love that. <laughs> love that idea. In Revelation, he said he sent his son, right? And worthy he was slain and ransomed people of God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. That the plan of God and the restoration of God and the restoration of all things is God's got a plan to restore people from everywhere. That in the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as racism. You have to understand that we're all part of the human race. And we have to understand that God is fitting together not only a, a spiritual temple. And there's a, an analogy in the, in the Old Testament temple. They told when Solomon was built the temple, you could not put a metal object to it. You had to take the stone just as it was. He didn't want us all to be bricks. He created us completely unique. And so you can take a black rock and a white rock and a red rock. Some are smooth, some are jagged, some are big, some are small. And God's fitting us all together. Embrace our uniqueness because our God is unique. There's no such thing as racism in the kingdom. And you understand that he is at work, ready, restoring to us a kingdom. And he's called to us being a kingdom and priest for God. And they shall reign in heaven. Wait, wait, that says they shall reign on earth. Listen, the new Jerusalem isn't until after the thousand years. We're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. See, what was lost in the garden? God told Adam, I give you dominion over the earth dominion is being restored to us but we are called to be a holy people we're called to be peculiar we're called to be a royal priesthood if you thought how a pastor should live and how a pastor should act and you've set a standard for that pastor that same standard you set for the pastor is set for yourselves because we're all called to be part of this priesthood we're not called to be pew sitters. We're called to be pew activists. We're called to get people to come into the pews. We're called to go forth to proclaim a message, a message of the kingdom, that God is at work. You were which not a people of God. Now God's brought you into the kingdom. Now, now you're a people of God. You should be distinct. You should be completely different from the world. Right? Now, if God is at work restoring people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, right, and he's at work, then obviously he's got a plan to restore Gentiles. God doesn't replace anyone. God doesn't reject anyone. God's at work trying to restore. And Gentiles who were once outside, alienated from all the promises of God, alienated from the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, that through the Jewish Messiah, through the blood, he became our peace. 
has gone ahead and unified us in one body, that he might create himself into us one new man, Jew and Gentile, one new man. That he's killing the hostility between Jew and Gentile, and he's created us in one spirit to worship God so that, ready, Gentiles are no longer strangers and aliens. But now, fellow citizens and saints of the household of God. Now, if you continue this passage, I mean Ephesians 2, go to Ephesians 3, this mystery. This mystery was which was not made known to all the generations before Paul. This mystery is what? The mystery here, the Gentiles are soul heirs, fellow heirs. They joined to an inheritance. They didn't replace anyone. No one was rejected. God was at work trying to restore everyone to a place of promise. And through this, right, that he's gone ahead and through his son, that he's gone ahead and he, now this mystery is what? This mystery of hidden ages in God. That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known, ready to this? To rulers and authorities in heavenly places. I'm going to submit something to you, ready for this? Even the angels didn't fully comprehend how great the plan of God was. This plan of God that's being worked out is restoring people from everywhere. He's going ahead and create himself one new man. And so it makes sense that if he's working a plan to restore Gentiles into the kingdom, doesn't it make sense he's got a plan to restore the Jewish people? In Acts 1.6, Lord, it's this time we restore the kingdom to Israel. And right now, blindness has happened in part to Israel. The blindness in part to Israel is happening until what? Until the fullness of the nations comes in. Then all of Israel shall be saved. And you may ask yourself, how is national redemption going to take place? Well, in, Zer- in Zechariah 12, 10, it says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the habits of Jerusalem. That sounds like Jewish people. Right? The spirit of grace and supplication. That sounds like an outpouring of God's spirit. And they shall look upon me whom they pierce. That sounds like a vision of Jesus. If you had a vision of Jesus, how could you not believe? That's how national redemption, I believe, will take place in the future. But until then, we're at this place in the middle of a prophecy. In Ezekiel's prophecy, it talks about this valley of dry bones. It talks about the Jewish people lost and scattered for thousands of years. And Ezekiel asked the question, can these bones live? And in asking this question, he sees the physical restoration. He sees bone to bone, flesh upon flesh. And all this is coming together. But notice this. There was no breath in them. That word breath is ruach, the spirit. There was no spirit in them. God actually foretold a physical restoration before the spiritual restoration. Now, there's some people that say the Jewish people back to the land of Israel is the restoration of Israel. No, it is not. The restoration of Israel will not be completed until they come back to the Messiah. And we have to understand that it continues on and it says, look, you shall know the Lord. He's going to open up the graves and guess what? He says, I'm going to put my spirit within you. That there's coming a time that God is getting ready to redeem the Jewish people. That God is getting ready to pour out a spirit fresh and new. And now we're at this place in the prophecy. What is my part as a Gentile? My part as a Gentile is to provoke them to jealousy. Now, how do I provoke Jewish people to jealousy? It's not to boycott them when they're trying to avoid terrorists. The way I provoke them to jealousy is to love on them when they don't deserve it. 
I have protests outside my house. I have all kinds of craziness that's happened to me. I always come out and they're always trying to take me. And I always smile and I give, and I give them a thumbs up. And my wife, my wife says, why? Because they can't use a good photo like that on the posters. Sometimes they're outside and they're provoking me, spitting on me, trying to provoke me. And I start laughing. And I really can't help it. All that comes to my mind is rejoice me exceedingly glad. What does that mean? Sounds like laughing to me. I don't know. That's just me. But I almost, it almost starts worse. It makes it like, it's like, oh my goodness, what am I doing now? Because now everything's getting worse. But the thing is, right, that my, my, as a Gentile, I'm to provoke them to jealousy. Now it says this, if their trespasses is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, then Paul is asking this question, how much more will their full inclusion mean? If the Jewish people rejected the Messiah and I could come into this thing called salvation, what is a prophet of man who gains the entire world and loses his own soul? If I can walk in this thing called salvation, right, then he says, how much more will this full inclusion mean? That there's a blessing coming. See, Charles Spurgeon wrote this in the 1800s. He said, look, I don't think that we attach enough importance to the restoration of the Jews. Those are the first missionaries, the first apostles to us who are far, for they should be regathered in again. Until that shall be, the church's glory can never come. Matches benefits are tied to the restoration of the Jews, for the regathering should be his life from the dead. That if you want to understand what to do, you have to pray in for their salvation. There's a lot of ministries inside of Israel that do not seek the salvation of Israel. They believe there's another way in. I want to submit to you that when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me, there's not a Gentile presence. And Paul was so emphatic about the salvation of the Jews, he said, I wish myself could be accursed that my brothers could come to faith. That's the passion that we should have. And when Spurgeon spoke, speaks this, he says, if the, if the rejection means reconciliation in the world, what would their acceptance mean but life from the dead? So in a nutshell, I believe God is at work restoring a kingdom. And he's called us to participate in restoring his kingdom. And the, word, and the, and the, the whole message of the kingdom begins with the word repent. And that, that the message of repentance should be taught th- far and wide to every nation, tribe, and tongue. That God is at work restoring people from everywhere. And that we are now actively participating in his plan. See, prophecy, when you talk about prophecy, should be for a building, encouragement, and comfort. It shouldn't be about freaking people out. It's not the end of the world. It's the beginning of the kingdom. And now we're participating in it. Now, we're going to know there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Now, the next phrase is the phrase I want you to focus on. See that you're not troubled. Layman's terms. Stop freaking out. These things must come to pass. Now, you have to understand that I live in Israel. I'm surrounded by 500 million Muslims that love us. To death. Didn't let me finish. Now, when you understand that God's got a plan to restore people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, just because you're pro-Israel doesn't mean we're anti-Palestinian. We're anti-Iraqi. We're anti-Iranian. We're anti- because God is actually pro-Egyptian. God is actually pro Palestinian. God is trying to redeem them. 
And so we have this passage here. It says there's going to be a highway comes out of from, from Egypt to Assyria. Basically goes across the entire Middle East. And he basically says to us, blessed is my people Egypt. That God's got a plan to restore Egypt. And, and Assyria, the work of my hands. That God's got a plan to restore. Now, I really believe that the very next thing that's coming is actually a war with Iran. Now, the war that I believe is coming, you can actually find this passage, but you have to actually understand the word Iran isn't in the Bible. There is a word, though, it's called Elam. It's a kingdom of Elam. E-L-A-M. And Elam is the orange area, and you see the orange area sits inside of the modern state of Iran. Almost the entire kingdom is inside the modern state of Iran. So if you see the word Elam in the Bible, no, he's talking about Iran. Now, we know that there is now a major turmoil happening. There's actually a civil war taking place inside of Iran. They've had major electrical problems. They've had major water shortages. Their currency is under collapse. They started chanting death to the dictator. COVID has completely crippled them. They're at a place where they're almost broken. At the same time, right, they're also working toward a bomb. Ben against the IDF, the IDF chief of, or I'm sorry, the defense minister of Israel, the former IDF chief of Benjamin Netanyahu, a guy that's a general, basically said, Iran is two months away from having enough material to build a bomb. That was August 25th. So we passed, we've passed that. Now, I believe we're getting ready to come into something, but I want to take you to a prophecy in Jeremiah 49. He says, I'm going to take the bow of Elam. I'm going to break it. He says, look, I'm going to gather Elam, and I'm going to scatter them to the four winds. And there shall be no nation that the, the, the children of Elam shall not come. It talks about a mass dispersion. Well, this is the Migration Policy Institute. And the Migration Policy Institute tracks people that are coming into a country and people that are leaving a country. People coming into a country is immigration. People leaving a country is emigration. And they actually put together a paper, and they said that during the Islamic regime of 1978-1979, it prompted the largest emigration, people fleeing Iran. And every year on the anniversary of this, there are protests outside of every Iranian embassy around the world of Iranians trying to go back home. Now, we continue reading this passage, and it says, look, I will terrify Elon before their enemies. I will bring disaster upon them. My fierce anger declares the word, I will send the sword after them until I consume them. That sounds like a war. But how many know that war and all things work together for good? Listen, the prophecy doesn't end there. If you actually continue reading, it says, and I will set up my throne in Elam. Wow. God is actually trying to set up his throne everywhere. God's trying to set up his throne right here in Queen Creek. God's trying to set up his throne in Washington, D.C., God is setting his throne, and all the earth and therein is his. He's going to destroy the kings and officials that's preventing this from taking place. Now notice this is, in the latter days, you see this word latter days? It's a very unique phrase in Hebrew. It's acherit hayamim. It literally means in the end of the end of days. This particular phrase is used in Deuteronomy 30, talking about when the Jewish people come back home in the end of the end of days. In Isaiah 2, talking about the Lord establishing his house on tops of the mountains in the, latter, in the end of the end of days. In the Gog-Magog war, it says, in the end of the end of days. 
this phrase is used here. Now notice, remember I said that God's not trying to destroy anyone. God's not trying to destroy Iran. Look what it says here. It says, and I will restore Iran. God's not trying to destroy Iran. God's actually trying to redeem Iran. And what most people don't realize is that the greatest revival that's happening in the world is actually happening in Iran. They went from 100,000 believers in 1994 to over 3 million believers. But what I fear takes place because we allow a media to influence the way we pray. It's very hard right now probably to pray for President Biden. I'm just being honest. If you allow the media to dictate and take you off, off game. Now look, in this particular thing, I really believe what the world is dealing with and what, what the United States is dealing with is what I call the Jonah complex. And you say, what's the Jonah complex? Well, kind of made it up. But I'm going to explain it. We know the story of Jonah, right? Got swallowed up by a great fish. You know, it's a, it's a story we taught to kids. But most people never study the historical context of the age that Jonah was living. He was living underneath the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire were the first terrorists. If there was a problem maker in the town, if there was an issue, right, they would take Pastor Jim and put him on a cross so that you would all submit. Right? They would find the leaders and put them on a cross so that they could get, they used fear to intimidate. They were the ones that came up with the idea of crucifixion. Now, it doesn't say this in the scriptures, but look, Jonah is a prophet, and the Bible talks about school prophets. Chances are Jonah probably knew a lot of these influential people. They got crucified. Now, at the same time, the Assyrians also came up with a very, uh, very unique way of controlling the populations. They realized their army stretching from basically the, 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 the northern part of Israel going almost all the way to India. This vast area, there's a large army. You couldn't control this large amount of uh, territory if you didn't have a large army. So they actually came up with a whole idea of actually picking up towns. And they literally would pick up a town in the Galilee and put it into Iran. Pick up another town in Iran and actually put it in the Galilee. Pick up another town and move it into Syria. Pick up a town in Syria and move it into the Galilee. The reason why is that they couldn't talk to one another. If the Galilee, let's say, had a million people, it'd be very hard to control a million people that all spoke the same language. But if you could divide them up, 200,000, 200,000, 200,000, then you got five people groups fighting one another that they don't realize the real enemies of the Assyrian Empire. It's the same tactic the, 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 that Satan uses today inside the church. He goes ahead and has a Baptist pitted against the Methodist, pitted against the, you know, the, the charismatic, pitted against the Calvaries, pitted against the Messianic. We're so busy fighting one another. We're fighting the kingdom of darkness, people. So that, that, that's the, the mentality. But you have to understand that in Jonah's day, he, he's thinking to himself, they picked up our people and moved us out of the land. Now, prophetically, this is prophetically important 2,000 years later. Why? Because the Jewish people were picked up in entire groups and moved to these entire groups, they actually were able to maintain their identity for 2,000 years to fulfill the prophecy for them coming back. If they didn't get separated, taken out by entire groups, you know, inside the Torah, you couldn't marry outside. 
So they were able to keep their identity. That's a prophetic understanding that God used the Assyrian Empire to actually fulfill a different type of prophecy. But now, Jonah's probably thinking to himself, they've taken us out of this land that they promised us. They, they, the land that you've promised us, God, the land of milk and honey, they've taken us and put it in these pagan lands. And worse than that, God, they brought all these pagan idols. And they filled the, the nation with idols. When Jesus is born, the reason why the rabbi said, what good thing could come out of the Galilee? Because it was full of pagans now. Where did the pagans come from? It came from this time frame, from the Assyrians. So when Jesus, you know, goes to the Gadarenes and actually casts out the demoniac and, and, uh, and uh, the, the legion, thousands of demons or hundreds of demons, go into the herd of swine, that's pigs. Do you think that was a Jewish farmer? Where do you think that came from? See, that's where this came from. I'm giving you the context. So when God tells Jonah, you need to go to Nineveh, that'd be like today saying, God's giving you a call. You need to go to uh, Kabul and you need to go preach the gospel to the Taliban. God, I, I think you make a mistake. I mean, I'm just giving you the context. God says to, to Jonah, you need to go to Nineveh. Nineveh's east. He goes to, he goes to the ship in Joppa, which is modern day Tel Aviv, to go to Tarshish. Tarshish is in Spain. You can't get farther west in Spain in Jonah's day. Right? Now, what's really interesting is that in Jonah's day, he preaches the word, and guess what? The largest move of God that is found in the Old Testament, the entire city, comes and repents. You would think that Jonah would be happy there was a major revival. And Jonah says, would you please kill me now? He just, just led the greatest revival in the world. Would you please kill me? Jonah's hatred for the terrorists was greater than his conception of God's love for them. He sees that, look, should I not pity Nineveh? They don't know the right hand from the left. And it'd be very easy to go ahead and get a, a wrong spirit. They, God, they're calling, you know, the Iranians are calling death to America, death to Israel. We need to wipe them out, God. And not even realize you're dealing with the same spirit of James and John when they walked through Samaria and they didn't receive the message. And he said, Jesus, she would call down fire from heaven and destroy them like Elijah did. And then Jesus rebuked it. You don't know what spirit you're speaking of. Jesus did not come to condemn anyone. Jesus is at work trying to restore everyone. Jesus is at work trying to redeem everyone. Jesus is at work trying to do these things, and he's called us to participate in this. See, we're actually in the middle of a, of a war. This is a passage in Daniel. And Daniel is praying. He's earnestly praying. It says, from the first day that you set your heart to understand, this is the, the, the archangel Gabriel. He's speaking to him. He's trying to answer Daniel's prayer. And Gabriel then goes ahead and talks about this spiritual war that took place. The principality over Persia. That Persia is northern, the Middle East, going into Iran. It's the same thing happening today. There's a spiritual war. This kingdom of Persia... 
this principality of Persia was at war trying to prevent the, the answers being, from being answered. It wasn't until Michael, the archangel that watches over the Jewish people we find out in, in Daniel 12, came to assist him. And the whole reason why we learn about this war, ready? To help your people understand what's going to happen in the end of the end of days. We're now in a spiritual war. We're fighting against principalities and powers. And you have to understand that God's at work trying to redeem not only Iran, but God's at work trying to redeem Israel. God's at work trying to redeem Egypt. God's at work trying to redeem the United States. And that we're fighting a spiritual war. See, he said, look, I've, I've called you to be watchmen. He said, I've given you a calling. You have a prophetic calling. And your calling is to pray into these things that are happening. Pray for the peace. When you pray for the peace of Jerusalem and you, and you struggle with God and you won't let him rest until he actually fulfills his word, you're actually struggling with God. You're actually saying, Lord, would you fulfill the word that you've already declared you're going to do from the beginning of the age? We're actually praying into the peace of Jerusalem. We know that true peace is only going to come back when the Prince of Peace comes back. When the Sar Shalom comes, you're actually praying that will be done, that kingdom come. We have a job to do. We have a work to do. But I'm going to submit to you what was really lost in the garden and what God is actually trying to restore. Why Jesus came, ultimately why he came, was to restore relationship. We read in Genesis that God walked with Adam in the garden. He was in intimate relationship with God until sin entered into the world. He ate of the forbidden fruit. And the next thing he said was, hey, the, the woman you gave me did it. Always trying to pass the buck. When we commit sin, it's our own fault. If we're not in a close relationship with God, it's our own fault. God is trying to restore relationship. And the main issue that, that, that causes this separation is the sin issue. I'm going to submit to you that you cannot say that you have a, a close relationship with the Lord if you are purposely living in sin. It's time to ask forgiveness. It's time to turn away from it. It's time to walk in newness of life. We're getting ready to go into the craziest times the world has ever had. You better be listening to God. How can you possibly listen to God if you're not trying to develop a close relationship with God? The reality is that as you struggle, is like I do, and you struggle and, you, and you're praying into seeking you're going to really find out how wretched we really are. We haven't arrived. We're pressing forward for a high call. We're pressing forward for something. We're not going to see it on this side of, of life. What I'm fearing is that people stopped pressing, stopped chasing, stopped, stopped embracing. If we really passionately Chase after God. I mean, believe that God's going to answer. I mean, it's time to chase after him. It's time to, look, stop hindering relationship. 
Say to yourself, I want to submit myself to the King of Kings today. I'm going to surrender it all. I'm going to go ahead and say, thank you, Abba, for sending your son that died on a cross for me. I'm trusting you to save me. I'm trusting you to forgive me. And when we walk in that, we're going to be living a lifestyle of repentance. And you're going to be living a lifestyle of revival. And you may not even know what God has. Look, I've been on the road for longer than I can even count now. I do not plan more than two or three weeks out. I don't know what I'm doing three weeks from now, two weeks from now. I've purposely, where are you going? Where am I going now? But I'm telling you right now, I I feel like I'm the closest I've ever been. But even at that place, I feel like I can get closer. Because I'm chasing. I'm telling you now, you need to chase. And so, Abba, Father, I ask you, Lord, you pour upon this congregation a spirit of repentance. Father, I ask you, Lord, that you would give them a tender heart to, to chase after you. I ask you, Father, you pour upon this congregation a, a heart of revival. I ask you, Father, you give them an understanding of their calling in this day to be watchmen, to pray in the prophetic things of God, to see you work today. I ask you, Father, that you would transform lives. Abba, Father, I ask you, Lord, that you would reveal now pet sins in every person's mind. I ask you, Lord, that you would help them confess it. I ask you, Lord, that you would help them to walk in repentance. I ask you, Lord, that you would do a work. For anyone that doesn't know the Lord, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. Say, I want to have a relationship. If that is you today, can I just see a hand? Okay. So, Father, I ask you, Lord, that you would pour out your ruach upon this entire congregation and help them to walk out of here in revival. And I thank you, Abba, B'Shem Yeshua, Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.